This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Hi, welcome to the Money Pot. I'm Nick Holland with Money 2020, the new member of the team breaking in my host microphone. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, all have made headway in the mainstream regarding their use as an investment asset. But for crypto to truly take hold as a currency, it needs to be accepted during commerce activities such as buying and selling. Today I get to speak with Edwin Aoki, CTO of PayPal's Blockchain Cryptocurrencies and Digital Currencies Unit, also known as BCDC, nothing to do with uh, ACDC, the band, and May uh, Zabana, who is VP of Product for BCDC. We're going to be talking about these new technologies and how PayPal views them. And more to the point, we want to know what we can expect when it comes to crypto and commerce. ask you just very briefly if you can give me an overview of why PayPal moved into the crypto space. What, what motivated you? Sure thing, Nick. Uh, and it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, you know, PayPal has been looking into and working with the digital currency ecosystem for some time, uh, including uh, partnerships that we've had with uh, licensed and regulated cryptocurrency platforms around the world, uh, as well as uh, research that we've been doing uh, in-house to explore the next generation of digital finance and the way that uh, currencies and cryptocurrencies can really fit into that. Um, if you think about sort of what's happened at the broader economy uh, and the push towards the digitization of everything, especially in the last couple of years due to the COVID pandemic, you know, we see that it's... Uh, the digitization of money has moved from being a nice-to-have convenience to a real necessity. And we think that commerce, payments, and financial services in the digital realm are really at a critical point uh, in its evolution. And cryptocurrencies and digital currencies more broadly are a key part of that. The rapid migration to digitized financial services uh, has meant that it is uh, far uh, faster, more efficient, and more resilient uh, for people to take part uh, in the broader economy, uh, whether that's um, uh, uh, you know gig workers that have um, really started to to have a much larger part to play uh, in the broader economy, or even peer-to-peer payments, as people have uh, seen ways to uh, interact with one another uh, online and at a distance. And we feel that what this does is really helps uh, to uh, normalize and bring forward the idea of an exchange of value, whether that's between consumers, between consumers and merchants, or even between governments uh, and their citizens. And we feel that as a company that's really committed to uh, democratizing personal finance and increasing access and utility for digital technologies, that digital currencies have the potential to drive this even further forward, uh, building out a a new set of platforms for economic growth and the financial health uh, for billions of people around the world. So we felt that it was the right time to accelerate our efforts to help uh, educate uh, consumers in this new asset class and these new ways of exchanging value and to be able to leverage our unique position uh, in the marketplace to help shape and support the way that digital currencies can play in the future of commerce. So one of my questions then really is that, you know, as we've seen digital currencies evolve, um, there's a fairly significant attribute missing from a lot of the cryptocurrencies is that, that you can't use them as currencies. You can't use them to go shopping in sort of a digital or physical world very easily, often without converting them back to fiat currencies. Um, 
So I guess, I mean, a fairly open-ended question here, but I'd like, why would consumers want to pay with cryptocurrencies? And then on the flip side of that, why would merchants want to accept them? I think the the things, the way to think about kind of cryptocurrencies, and maybe um, I can step back a little bit and just talk a little bit about the kind of the journey that PayPal's been on and kind of what we've done and that will help in the evolution of what we believe and where the world will go with it. And so I think if we step back and think about um, in October 2020, PayPal launched the ability to buy, sell, hold cryptocurrencies within the U.S. markets. And so that what that enabled is consumers now to have a safe, easy, and uh, simple way to, to buy cryptocurrencies um, that was accessible. Um, we then continued kind of on the expansion of that in, in March um, of 21 and announced the ability to take your the crypto that you have and be able to use it at checkout and as for payments for uh, merchants. And I think that what's powerful about uh, this is that now consumers have the extra ability to use their cryptocurrency in more ways. So it's continuing to drive kind of utility within it. Um, but it also, the beauty of it from a merchant side is that there's really no extra work from a merchant perspective. Um, continuing on that, we've expanded in April, expanded with our um, to enable our Venmo base to our customers to buy, sell, hold cryptocurrencies. And following our momentum in August, we've also extended globally to the UK uh, customers to buy, sell, hold it. So when you think of like where our journey has been and kind of the heart of everything, it's it's really about continuing the momentum on education, enabling consumers to understand what they're getting into, ability to give them then the access um, to to have towards these cryptocurrencies and then ultimately the utility of being able to use them where they'd want to spend it. And so you come back to consumer choice and you come back to the ability of flexibility for consumers to be able to kind of use and choose how they'd like to use their cryptocurrencies. From a merchant perspective, when we think about that, um, merchants um, would really want kind of the, there's many things that ultimately merchants want from a payments perspective, right? It's lowering the risk. It's the more speed of access of payments. Um, but when you, when you kind of bring that all together, I think from a merchant perspective, they also want to give their customers choice. And, and um, to be able to do this, really blockchain cryptocurrencies start to really open and drive and deliver that promise throughout it. I mean, I, I kind of wonder, I guess, back to sort of the, the crux of this, though. I mean, I, you know, we've got these rail. I mean, it, it gives consumers choice. It gives merchants choice. But what are the advantages of accepting a cryptocurrency over a dollar or a euro? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that uh, it depends uh, is, the, is the answer, because uh, the needs that merchants have are really as varied as the merchants themselves. For some folks, uh, they, uh, as May mentioned, um, really want to be able to tap into a core of customers who are uh, increasingly demanding and, and wanting to be uh, using these currencies and using these new digital means of exchange uh, with their favorite merchants. And so there may be uh, folks that uh, want to tap into a new market or a new uh, set of, of, of consumers uh, that really want to be able to use these technologies. For others, it will come from the uh, speed and the efficiency that May also alluded to. Um, you know, right now we understand, um, or, or maybe people don't understand, that um, even though uh, services like PayPal and Venmo appear to be instant, um, behind the scenes there's a lot of work that's going on in the financial system where 
checks can take days to clear or wire transfer sort of can get uh, get lost sort of for, for, for long periods of time uh, somewhere in the middle. And, and, and you don't quite know exactly what's going on with them. And, you know, the transparency and the certainty of uh, digital currencies and the blockchain can really help uh, bring greater transparency and efficiency to some of those kinds of, of, of payments. And then you have folks, I think, that want to start taking advantage of, you know, newer um, uh, areas uh, in uh, the, the so-called metaverse or Web3 or DeFi applications where uh, the cryptocurrencies are sort of the native form of exchange. And as more and more uh, brands and, and, and merchants start getting into um, experiences in these areas as well, they will want to be able to use the native uh, uh, means of exchange to reach their customers in these spaces. I think actually very good points there. Uh, I think, I mean, particularly the speed of settlement one is something that, as you say, there's, you know, you see PayPal and Venmo and it's, there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors in terms of, yes, you're seeing real settlement, but as, as an organization, that's, that might not actually be happening real time. Um, likewise as well. I mean, I, I did a bank transfer the other day and it's, I think somehow it managed to take seven days. And, you know, when, when as a consumer, I can order my groceries and get them within 30 minutes. The fact that a digital transaction would take that long to go from one bank account to another seems a little bit uh, archaic, perhaps. Anyway, um, but I digress. I mean, you mentioned uh, Web3 and um, good segue into my next point, maybe about NFTs, which are, I think, considered fairly widely to be sort of the gateway drug into Web3 and a lot of, obviously, the the, uh, the metaverse again, ultimately. Um, so question then around NFTs then. So it's received a huge amount of attention recently. There's a lot of noise about things like, you know, celebrities buying profile pictures of bored apes for millions of dollars. Um, but where, where's, you know, where's the real, I guess the question is, where's the beef here? Where's the, where, where are we really seeing potential applications in the ability to have something that's truly non-fungible, something that is a unique item in a digital form? Yeah, you'll notice that neither May nor nor I have board apes uh, in our profile pictures at the moment. Um, there certainly are is is a lot of of of, of noise uh, in this space, but there's also I think a lot of potential uh, as well. You know, I think that um, you know NFTs right now are being used for um, you know a lot of sort of interesting uh, and and some might say superficial aspects. Um, but really, I think that that um, they are a way of expressing uh, ownership uh, and they are a way of expressing provenance uh, in the digital world. Um, that's going to become more important as things go online. And, you know, as as folks look to uh, establish a digital identity or a digital sort of presence, um, they're going to want to be able to carry things like the artwork that they care about, like the assets that they have. Um, or other things where um, that notion of, of of ownership and of provenance become important, uh, and so I think that you're right that that we're very much at the at the beginning of this. Um, just as I think that we're at the beginning of, of of a broader notion around digital identity, which is you know I think another great uh, example of how the blockchain is going to shift uh, the way that we think about um, really a lot of the sort of fundamentals of of, of where we are. Um, way back when I used to be, uh, work for this, this company called Netscape, um, which, uh, some of your listeners may, uh, may, may remember. <laughs> You're carbon dating yourself quite badly there, Edward. <laughs> I am aging myself, uh, dating myself. Um, but you know, one of the things I think that, that when you go back to the original uh, folks that helped to, to lay a lot of the foundations for the internet, um, 
they'll tell you that uh, two of the areas that we sort of missed out on were uh, in the area of identity and in the area of payments as being part of sort of the building blocks of the of the internet as we know. And you know, Web two and Web three are really trying to bring some of those elements back into the infrastructure. Uh, and I think that you know, when we talk about uh, digital identity and we talk about uh, NFTs, that those are going to be uh, become some of these core pieces that new applications and and and, and new experiences are are, are going to be built around. And, and I know that you know, May is a huge. Uh, is is thinking very broadly, um, you know, from a product lens about how those experiences will um, manifest to customers as they go out, and 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 we think that there's some really exciting uh, possibilities there. May, could you on with that uh, segue? Is there any are there any examples you could share of where you see that non fungible non fungible asset being usable um, in our everyday lives? I mean, I think we're kind of already starting to see some of those things, right? As we see NFTs of art, I mean, it's not necessarily a specific daily usage of, of trading, but it is actually becoming a very integral part of our social aspects of life, right? And so I think we will continue to see um, lots of momentum and continued kind of um, opportunities around that. And and it becomes kind of as in the fabric of society. And I think that's the, what's the most powerful thing of NFTs for me is it's really just digitizing kind of all the other aspects of life and really kind of enabling um, the accessibility around it, um, you know, owning a piece or a part of art that you never would have been able to before, um, owning different parts of, you know, all kinds of things from like wineries to art to like many different pieces of anything that's translatable into value or properties. So I think it's very powerful uh, kind of momentum that we're seeing in the industry. Um, and I think it's going to be, you know, very exciting to continue to see it. But I think overall, the you know, I think we you'll hear us um harp on a lot of this is a lot of it what's really important is that consumers understand really well what they're getting into and i think you know education awareness as well as the ability of just understanding the risks and then consumers obviously making the decisions um, but being empowered with the information and really understanding it before kind of going into it is going to be really really critical for the, for this aspect of our industry yeah i'd agree as well i think there's um, the ability to have, I mean, it seems quite frivolous, some of the applications we've seen so far, but this ability in, um, with you, Edwin, uh, to have a token that is absolutely unique, uh, but also indexed maybe to your own identity that can surf both digital and physical domains is something that's been categorically missing from the internet from the, from day one. So, um, and, you know, frankly, you know, the, the fact that I have to remember 120 different passwords is testament to the fact that, the, the, you know, the onus has been put on the consumer to, to, you know, control their identity, but it's become unmanageable. So it certainly it's a good step in that direction. But May, I think back to your point as well, I think, yes, there is, you know, clearly um, one of the attributes missing from the internet in early days was the, you again, the ability to have unique content that you can own and, and a lot of the monetization models were built around well you know we, we'll just set up a, a, a you know a, a paywall uh, to, to access content knowing that if it's if if someone gets hold of it it can be replicated indefinitely well, well now you've got a model that actually reverses that and puts it back to something where it something is finite so it's um again it, it's it's solving a, an age-old problem with the internet which i find fascinating um 
Another question, again, while I've got you um, on on this particular conversation, I think there's really interesting uh, moves at the moment into, obviously, uh, CBDCs, so central bank digital currencies, uh, and also stable coins. And I think there were, there's a recent Bloomberg article stating that PayPal is exploring a stable coin of your own, which, again, you may or may not be. Um, but... What are the implications, really, again, of CBDCs and stablecoins for the evolution of, of digital currencies? I mean, are these are these FOMO for cryptocurrencies, or again, do you think they're, they're really going to see some some legitimate uh, deployments? Um, and, and I'd say, I mean, obviously, we've seen deployments in places like China, uh, but it'd be interesting to see deployments in countries that are uh, Western or European. I think. Yeah, Nick. I, you know, I think that um, it is still. You know, we we. In this space, uh, I, I think uh, are fairly immersed in it. But if you take sort of a long view, it is still early days uh, in the overall digital currency space. And and I think that you know the work that uh, we and other companies are doing in uh, cryptocurrencies and stablecoins and CBDCs is, is is really a testament to the fact that there's still a lot for us to explore. There's still a lot for our customers to understand. And so you know. It would be absolutely natural for us to be looking at, at at all of the above, right? For a company like PayPal, that's a trusted partner in the payment space, that's really committed to building the infrastructure for consumers to use digital currencies, uh, it's going to be natural that we're going to be looking at every shape and variety of that uh, to help uh, uh, define and 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 guide sort of where the future of financial services is going to go. Um, we think that there's going to be, um, you know, a lot of uh, innovation that goes on in, in all of these areas. Um, you know, it's definitely our goal to be able to support uh, CBDCs and, and, and any other forms of, of, of digital money that, that come about um, that help uh, our consumers and our merchants uh, exchange value, uh, uh, establish uh, um, uh, ownership and, and, and identity. Uh, and be able to uh, enhance uh, uh, commerce and, and and payments in these space. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier the uh, uh, shift that's been happening as a result of the of, of the pandemic, and you know, you can even see there the 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 need um, and the and the unprecedented sort of opportunity for governments to be able to spend, uh, uh, sorry, to to um, send money to. Small businesses through through the PPP or through uh, to, through direct payments to to, to, to needy families, um, and you know PayPal was uh, a, a big uh, contributor to some of that work with 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 our work with PPP loans with our work uh, with the Treasury in, in in distributing stimulus checks. But there's still millions of people uh, in this country and, and and around the world that had to wait to get that help that they that they desperately needed that. That couldn't get the uh, that the the uh, help that they needed or the support they needed in order to keep their businesses going or to to be able to to you know pay the rent, and you know we think that that um, uh, digital currencies that are uh, backed by and supported by governments um, are going to be a really important tool that will exist to to help you know hopefully we'll not have one of these again, um, but uh, any time that uh, governments need to be able to. Um, exchange value with their citizens, um, being able to to do that in a fast, safe, uh, and uh, transparent manner um, uh, is something that that we're absolutely uh, committed to uh, to helping and to bring about. 
I think, I mean, clearly, yes. I mean, it's when, when people are forced to go digital kind of overnight, it really shows where the cracks are in the system. And, and clearly disbursement of, of government funds was one of them. So not only was there rampant fraud, but again, just to get physical checks to people was just an extremely cumbersome way to, to go about that. So, I mean, the, the fact that it that could be solved by CBDCs in terms of clearly, you know, mitigating the fraud, but also disbursement could be instantaneous. And, you know, we've seen in emerging markets like Sub-Saharan Africa where, uh, you know, there might not be bank infrastructure, but certainly there'll be cellular infrastructure. And, you know, to actually push funds out to, to these areas is, uh, is, is far more uh, reasonable to do it through uh, mobile devices or, or connected devices. So that's it for this episode of The Money Pot. Uh, thanks for joining us. I want to thank Edwin and May for joining us today. And uh, also want to thank my producers, Rachel Morrissey and Roland Boddenham. And if you've liked today's episode, don't forget to follow us. We're on Twitter, of course, LinkedIn, and wherever you listen to podcasts. So for Money 2020 and The Money Pot, I'm Nick Holland. This is essential. 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 This is Essential Audio.